0: Alright, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Just DQ with yours truly bringing in another review on some pop culture goodie or goodness, depending on what's your flavor on the table or what's on the menu. What's on the menu today? You might ask or you might be wondering. It's been a bit of a break uh, simply because of work, but I'm back and. I've recently read um, a really great volume, a really great collection of comics, and it's the Essential Judge Dread, volume number one. This is a trade paperback, and the full name is Essential Judge Dread America. Issue number one, the cover date, September 22nd. The in-store date of this volume is September 3rd, 2020. Now, this Volume includes different issues of judge dread not just one story but this collection of stories really does cover a very distinct theme not only in this comic but also in some modern um, contexts that I like to go through in today's podcast episode. So the stories included in this volume uh, the first one is the letter from a Democrat another issue is called Revolution, um, and one of the major issues in this volume is called America. Now, as you can tell, there seems to be a political connection uh, based on these titles, and this volume does go through a gamut, a collection, a volume, if you will, of political satire that I think is worth mentioning and worth reviewing, not only through the Essential Judge Dread volume, but also some current cases in Canada. Um, I am a Toronto-based podcaster, and I would love to bring in some Canadian issues into my podcast, because why not? Why not? So this volume includes many creators, of course, and some of the writers include Garth Ennis, John Wagner, and Alan Grant. And of course, since there are many stories, there are many artists and some of the artists involved in this volume, Colin McNeil, Jeff Anderson, as well as John Higgins, to name only um, some of the artists working on this title. There are also letters that I've worked on this title, Uh, not only John Wagner, but also Tom Frame, to name a couple. So Judge Dredd, Volume 1 america there are five there are five i believe one two three four five six i'm wrong there are six total issues included in this volume and the goal of this podcast is to present judge dread and the dread universe as a plausible political satirical uh, Contexts uh, of modern politics. So basically, you know, this comic book can really uh, represent um, the flaws in the justice system, as well as some flaws in the political system. There are some. There are going to be some clear connections um, between current incarceration methods in America, as well as some recent judicial actions against minorities um, within the real world. Um and then compared to some of the events that happen in Mega City One, Judge Dredd's jurisdiction. So in this manner, I hope to explore how the judges, um, as a representation of the justice system, um, and especially of course the symbolic uh, anti-hero, anti-villain of this comic, the Judge Dredd, of course, who can be seen as this complex anti-hero, anti-villain, I guess, allegory of the justice system. America is an irradiated wasteland, a cursed earth, in which a single outpost of civilization remains stretching from Boston to Washington, Mega City One. In Mega City 1, the judges are the law, acting as judge, jury, and executioner. But how do the citizens really feel about a system where they are powerless? America Jara and Bennett Beanie grow up as best friends, living a fairly trouble-free life in a dangerous city where most of citizens fear law enforcement more than the lawless. Time draws them apart and when they are brought back together, Beanie is a successful singer and America has become involved with a terrorist organization known as Total War, which has the Justice Department in its sights. Let's say the first three issues, um, Letter from a Democrat, Revolution, and The Devil You Know, uh, and I suppose politics as well. So I suppose the first three issues in this volume um, really give the reader an idea of what type of lawful land Mega City One really is. And based on letter from a Democrat, there is a clear idea that justice is not being served In a fair or equitable, or I guess humanistic way, Um, in the first in the first issue, we learn about the Democratic Party of Mega City One, and they quickly infiltrate a media broadcast in order to make it clear that they demand change. We, the members of the Democratic tendency, believe. The time has come to stand up against the tyranny of the judges. It is time to remove power from our self elected overlords and return it and return it where it belongs, in the hands of the people. We demand a new charter for the citizens of Mega City One. Alright, so that is the claim placed by the democratic tendency. And they actually have hurt no one throughout their campaign for freedom and democracy. The only thing they've ever murdered was a robot. However, their movement is seen as a terrorist organization. They do not surrender to the judges who basically kill them right on TV. Um, So the judges murder the members of the democratic tendency and this leads to a revolution the democratic tendency grows further. And in Revolution Part 1, we see how the family of those affected by the democratic tendency have grown and recruited more members in order to revitalize this movement that is about power to the people. So power to the people, the movements in the 60s, Um, And any type of protest movement, civil rights movement, has a clear connection to the democratic tendency um, within, again, the early issues of this volume. Uh, The issue names exactly are Letter from a Democrat uh, and Revolution, Part 1 and Part 2. What is clearly established in these early volumes is the anti-villain situation going on in the justice or i think it's called the hall of justice now judge Dredd is the character that is i think the clear allegory for the justice system and he does portray an anti-villain role which does fit i think the current um idea idea or representation of cops Um, unfortunately because of many negative portrayals of cops whether it be on television or on um, captured on social media and shared there is a negative I guess connotation or negative feeling towards cops now I don't think um, this negative feeling um, is unwarranted Uh, I think there are, are systemic grounds on which people don't trust Law enforcement and i think in this comic um, it is portrayed how undermining law enforcement can be and there are clear examples of this happening in the real world so in the comic book the judges they have the decision to basically destroy and undermine the democratic tendency and the democratic party in fact during the primary protest by the Democratic Party, the judges plant agent provocateurs to provoke the protests and therefore provoke, well, force violent force by by the by the judges. And this scene really does play out in real world scenarios. Um, and in one story in Canada, agent provocateurs were established. Within a protest, Um, I believe it was in Quebec and the protest, I think, was on the G8 or G20s Um, and these agent provocateurs were going to um, behave by throwing stones and, and rocks and basically becoming violent. So this was posted on August 23rd, 2007 by CBC News, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, that Quebec Provincial Police admitted that three of their officers disguised themselves as demonstrators during the protests at the North American Leaders Summit in Montebello, Quebec. Now, the police denied that its undercover officers were there on Monday to provoke the crowd and instigate violence. However, in a video, protest organizers order the men that is the undercover cops, to put the rock down and call them police instigators and try to unmask them. So they had rocks in their hands. Now, I'm not sure why a police officer would have rocks in their hands. Um, But again, agent provocateurs in the midst of protests is not something new. And I think it was very informative and realistic to implement that in Judge Dread, because it keeps it real, it keeps it gritty, and it does keep it very undermining and very anti-villainy because the judges believe that their actions are for the betterment of society because they don't trust that the people can govern themselves. So what happens after that? Well, it takes a little bit of a turn. The judges have completely undermined all sense of democracy even going so far as doing electroshock therapy to destroy democracy because politics is a dirty business and citizen democracy just ain't worth it. So we get the picture. The law is completely within the judge's hands, but more so is politics. Because of politics, it describes who controls the public welfare as well as the private welfare. And it seems like the judges have that all in the bag insofar as they would even create their own terrorist organization in order to support the destruction, the silencing of democracy. And we see that in the issue called Revolution, where in the end, the judges create this organization and the name of this organization is called, just give me one second to find this out. So the group is called, hmm, give me one moment. Okay, they're called the Sons of the Iron Lady. So the Sons of the Iron Lady are meant to be this, also this, I guess, government, anti-government group. And they're undercover judges that are meant to disrupt any sort of protest. But yeah, so the judges go so far as to do that in order to undermine democracy. But eventually, the people of Mega City One have the opportunity to have a vote and they get their voices out in the issue called the devil you know. So in the devil you know, democracy has its day. The people are allowed to vote and vote on who will run basically the country or rather mega city one. Will it be the citizens or will it be the judges? There is a vote and the judges, they actually do not get involved at all. The judges absolutely positively do not undermine this voting, unlike in previous issues. And there is a change. There seems to be a change in Judge Dread. And what is that change? What changed his mind? Well, it was one character, America Jara. Who is America Jara? Well, America Jara first appears in the story called America, and she's a democracy activist as well as a terrorist in Mega City One. Okay, so there's this great quote in the issue America, which introduces the hero in. I think this volume, I think one of the real heroes of this volume is this regular human named America Jara. And America Jara actually stands up to Judge Dredd and the judges, and her defiance, her protest against the judges, ends up transforming Judge Dredd from an anti-villain to an anti-hero, which is actually a very difficult change in this world because of how greedy and ruthless everything is. So, Judge Red goes on to say, where do I stand? Well, he'll tell you where he stands. He stands for square for justice. He stands for discipline, good order, and the rigid application of the law. And grud help any limp liberals who say different. The people, they know where he stands. They need rules to live by, and he provides them. If they break the rules, he breaks them. That's the way they work. The people like it that way. They need to know where they stand. But America Jara ain't gonna stand for that because she turns out to be a great symbol, an allegory for an American dream an American idealism that turns into a bit of a love story between herself, America Jara, and her friend, Bennett Beanie. So America. America was like every other person in America. She was born from an immigrant family, and they really liked the American dream you know, the American dream, the dream to get prospects, the dream to live free and to live bravely. And that's why this character is named America. So America was born in hope with a dream that died in disillusionment and despair. So... America Jara seems to be the, I guess, the David against the Goliath. She becomes friends with Beanie Bennett, a, I guess, timid child, because he's bullied, and they meet because she defends him. So wherever they went, the judges were always watching them, even as kids. They could, the judges could fix you with a special kind of stare like they could look right into the soul. And this is the type of stare and attention these kids were receiving. So the judges, well, they were like the boogeyman for these kids. At night, mothers would tuck them in with warnings. Sleep or the judges would come for you. That's pretty t- terrifying. And... They didn't need any ghosts or goblins or vampires. These kids had the judges. So one day, a judge tries to bully Bennett Beanie. And you know what happens? America defends him. She says this. My name is America Jara. She lives in the Fred Nietzsche block. And she can say whatever she likes. Because... Apparently, Mega City One is America, and that's a free country. All right, so eventually, America Jara, she stays with that attitude of defiance. And you know what? It takes her right into the democratic tendency. But the judges, they still have that same perspective of fear. They want to crush lawlessness with a very heavy boot. And according to them, it's a well-known fact that every criminal, every single perp, was started out as a juvie. And that's where they think they can catch the problem. They can put the fear of God into them right from the start, right when they're kids. So Judge Dredd, for instance, likes to give them the stare, a long, hard look. One of those looks that say, i know you juvie i'm keeping a special eye on you make one wrong move and i'll be there (laughs) Uh, and it's so amazing how this page is set up um, this scene where judge red is looking at a juvie the juvie is some little kid that dropped their ice cream so this is what the bully is this is what the judges are as far as this novel as as far as as far as its issues, there we go Um, the judges at this point are definitely anti-villains they prey on lawlessness but they have a very uh, disciplinarian and focus on punishment rather than correction, they can't actually correct their society, so instead they focus on punishment and America Jara doesn't stand for that and she doesn't stand for that type of absolute fascist justice so she hopes for a better world as a democrat which leaves her in the minority of society and bennett beanie and her they lose touch eventually now what's the importance of fred nietzsche and where america lives Hmm, because fred nietzsche sounds like a philosophical person and let's take a look into what he's got to say about this society so who is frederick nietzsche and what's the connection to the area block where the character of america Jara, as well as bennett beanie grew up well frederick wilhelm nietzsche was a german philosopher cultural critic and composer, poet, and other other great things. He seems like a very talented man. Now, as for a cultural critic, I think we should focus on that one because in terms of America Jara as a character, she definitely does feel like the cultural critic. Now, in an article um, in the International Studies in Philosophy, the man Douglas Kellner in His study of Nietzsche's critique of mass culture, he notes that Nietzsche's powerful polemics were against religion, morality, and philosophy, kind of. He takes an attack on the life-negating aspects of modern culture. And also, Nietzsche criticizes many of the institutions and values of modern societies, as oppressing bodily energies and creativity, while blocking the generation of stronger individuals and a more vigorous society and culture. Now, can we connect this to Judge? Uh, well, can we connect this to Judge Dread, Volume One? Definitely, America Jara, for instance, in her confrontation with the judges, with the democratic tendency and their undermining by the judges, we see this. Frequently throughout society as well, just considering civil rights and the rights of uh, prisoners and the mass incarceration system within America and within Canada, the mass incarceration of indigenous people, these effects of minorities and the, I guess, the oppression of minorities by these main or, I guess, hegemonic cultures, if you will, are terrible and in their mass growth and tumoric growth of power they take over the minority groups and those that of strong character are generally wiped out like America Jara. Now, another piece of Nietzsche philosophy that we can also apply to this uh, comic and to this volume is the idea of God is dead. This is one of the occurring works, Um, well, it has occurred rather in several of Nietzsche's works. And the idea of God is dead um, really is that there is nothing that keeps us holy um, with some sort of intrinsic value. People have to become self-willed in their creation of good. And America Jara is such a character that she stands up for a a good. She stands up for a value and is willing to put her life on the line for that value. And in this comic, it's very difficult for characters to have that sort of willpower Um, Except if you look at the judges, which, of course, are given the hyper-masculine traits um, of, well, of heroes. Whereas America Jara is a female character um, who simply has her will in order to change society. And I think Nietzsche and the area that she grew up in, called Nietzsche Block, really connect well to that idea of God is dead. And that man, or rather, woman, or in any case, human, has to have the will to create the world that they believe is better. And so, Nietzsche Block also brings out Bennett Beanie, on the other hand, who is a man scared of standing up to the judges. Lastly, Nietzsche developed one of the first sustained critique of mass culture and society, the state and bureaucratic discipline. And within the political justice system, there are some clear critiques that can be made about this system. All right. So with the idea of Nietzsche in our heads and the idea of, you know, criticizing and critiquing mass culture let's take a look at the effects of mass incarceration in the u.s only as an example of what an extreme form of incarceration or in in this case a comparison to the extreme comic world of judge dread but let's play this place this notion of extreme justice and extreme punishment in a real context and see what the results are. So let's see some facts and trends on mass incarceration in America. So first off, since we were mentioning the effects of juveniles and the effects of, let's say, um, harsh justice um, on juveniles. What is the incarceration rates of youths in juvenile facilities across America? Well, the juvenile facilities for youth um, have an adjacent, have have had a declining rate of incarceration. Now, the highest point was in 1999, with a 77,835 juvenile population. Now in 2015, that number has decreased to 31,487. And in the year 2017, the number of youths in juvenile facilities has dropped to 26,972. So this shows a great decline in the number of youths in juvenile facilities. However, youth of color, enter the system much more frequently than white youth and are more likely to be sentenced to harsher terms of punishment. In addition, young people are transferred to the adult system each year and tried as if they were adults. And then many are sent to adult prisons and jails to serve their sentences. So the rate of youth in residential placement per 100,000 by race and ethnicity So in 2015, 433 of the uh, youths in residential placement were black. Now, the next um, number that was actually quite surprising is that 261 American Indians were placed in residential placements per 100,000 by race. So on the agenda... For justice crime and punishment are black and American Indian youths now what are the rates for the women in this system so the number of women in prison has been increasing at twice the rate of growth for men since 1980 women in prison often have significant histories of physical and sexual abuse high rates of HIV and substance abuse problems all right so this is a really major problem in society because families they require female figures and mother figures for you know the family ties and the family community. So over the years there's been a large rise in the number of women in the correctional facilities. Now one of the largest impacts on mass incarceration are the drug policies and the war on drugs. And this petty crime type of offenses have led to countless lives being put into correctional and facilities, which are more often designed to keep people in than to actually correct them and give them the support to rejoin mainstream society. Not only has the war on drugs imprisoned a disproportionate amount of blacks and American Indians, and overall poor people in the U.S., it has also disenfranchised a political voice of many communities. So disenfranchisement varies by state and disenfranchisement is essentially your loss of freedoms, freedoms and rights taken away due to felony offenses. So what happens when a large group or a group of society and many of its members lose their voice because of unjust, unfair policies and practice of justice? Well, they become angry and volatile like the democratic tendency within Judge Dread, Volume 1. And this comic does well in continuing a political satire of extreme punishment within the comic world. And within the real world, the consequences of extreme punishment are very damaging to communities. Now in America, it's clear that justice is damaging to the African American community, the indigenous community, the Latino communities, and any communities that are within, I suppose, you know, ghettos and and impoverished areas. Similarly, in Canada, the Canadian Correctional Services has another mandate similar to the American justice system. And the goal of the Canadian justice system is to punish Indigenous people and the Indigenous community. We can see this clearly by the disproportionate and overrepresentation of Indigenous people within the correctional services. The information on the incarceration trends for women youths were all provided by Fact Sheet Trends in US Corrections by the Sentencing Project. So continuing with the idea of Nietzsche's critique of mass culture, the correctional services in Canada has been a blight on the Indigenous community, serving as, I guess, the ultimate arbitrator of their destiny in some ways. Canada has a Truth Reconciliation Act that has outlined key issues among the Indigenous community in Canada. And in that report, they outlined um, issues, especially in the criminal justice system. Now, the population of indigenous people within Canada is quite low in fact. However, majority of inmates in, in the correction services are indigenous. Now, more than one third of the women admitted to custody in the correctional in the criminal justice system self-identify as Indigenous. Now, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission final report, they outline the need to reduce the overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples in custody. Now, nearly two years after that report, the government's efforts to make change are proving less fruitful. So for the last three decades, there has been an increase every single year in the federal incarceration rate for indigenous people. And this is according to the annual report from the Office of the Correctional Investigator for the year 2016 to 2018. Um, And again, there seems to be always this offense and oppression of minority groups. In the US, this is the oppression of Blacks and Natives. In Canada, this is a system notable for overrepresenting and over-criminalizing Indigenous people. Um, and however we look at it, the justice system is a flawed system, very similar to, again, the complexities of the allegorical justice hero. Um, anti-villain slash anti-hero in this comic Judge Dredd volume number one and this is one of the benefits of this comic is that the hero is as complex as the actual system he is fighting for Another another ridiculous and outrageous statistic from Canada is that nearly half of all youth who end up in custody across Canada are Indigenous. Now, data also released by Statistics Canada show that Aboriginal youth made up 46% of admissions to correctional services in 2016 to 2017. However, the population of Aboriginal youth make up only 8% of the entire youth population. Now, compare that figure to the figure in 2006, 2007, where the proportion was 21%. Now, 10 years later, indigenous boys make made up 47% of correctional admissions and indigenous girls accounted for 60%. What about the rates for the adults? Well, according to Stats Canada, Indigenous men accounted for 28% of admissions in 2016 to 2017, while Indigenous women accounted for 43%. At the same time, they represented about 5% of the Canadian adult population. So another sort of highlight from the Judge Dread volume series is the voter turnout during the democratic elections held in the volume. So finally, after the death of America, well, Judge Jed turns into more of an anti-hero, a character that has the responsibility of trying to take care of a city, but acknowledging that his power is limited by the faith and trust the people really put into him. And as a result, he decides to hold an election uh, in order for the people to decide whether they want to trust the devil they know, which in this case would be the Hall of Justice and all the judges that operate in the Hall of Justice. Inside of the issue, The Devil You Know, part one and part two, there is a public election where the citizens of Mega City One get to vote in on what they choose to have. Um, They call this a free call referendum. And referendum is where every legal citizen over 16 years of age and currently neither serving prison nor an inmate of any psychiatric institution has the eligibility to participate and then to vote So what's the basic issue? Well, the issue at stake is this. Do the Mega City One citizens continue under the present system whereby the citizens um, elected representative body is empowered to make representations or where ultimate legislative power resides with the judge? So, in some really big terms, and simplify it down to some simple, you know, ideas, basically the people get to vote if they want to be ruled by judges or ruled by elected citizens. So, either they change the system or the people return to the former system whereby the judges or some alternative agency uh, return to strict law enforcement um, in accordance with statutes enacted by the citizens' elected representative body all right so basically judicial control or democracy and uh, unfortunately in the end the people choose to be ruled by the judges and what i love about this particular issue is how simplified and clarified the population is you know basically illustrated and described in very i guess not only dynamic but very uh, balanced page and page designs. We get this overall perspective on the different populations that exist in any city. We have concerned citizens, citizens that are really inundated by entertainment to the point where they don't really worry about the outside world. We have citizens that are drunk and drugged out to the point where they don't have a concern about politics and about control however some do and those that do while they do voice their concern definitely do not have enough voice to change any sort of uh, government policy so in the end how many people actually settle in and vote to decide whether they want judicial rule or judge rule Well, only 35% of the actual citizens exercised their God-given right to vote. And so nothing changes, and the citizens basically choose to continue being ruled by the judges. Now, the Democratic Party, obviously not pleased by this result, end up protesting the vote, but um, I guess accept that the people chose the judges over them. Now, with a rate of thirty-five or whatever thirty percent of the people that came out to vote, how realistic is this political satire or comic um, reflective of you know the actual circumstances of voter turnouts for major um, political decisions in democratic societies? How often do the people actually turn out to get their voices heard in major political decisions? So let's take a look at some current political um i guess elections from different democracies Uh, i chose to take a look at the uk um, usa and as well as canada so three governments um similar in how they decide uh, i guess changing of you know political decisions and, and whatnot so let's take a look at some of figures or some fact sheets Uh, from the U.K., from the U.S., and from Canada concerning some local and, uh, I guess, federal and different levels of government and those elections. So according to multiple news sources, the 2020 um, federal, I guess, the 2020, sorry, I'm I'm confusing federal and other forms of uh, government systems. Anyways so in America they had their feder- uh, the presidential sorry the presidential election. Um, this was between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now the voter turnout rate for this particular election was actually quite high and uh, in comparison to other high turnout presidential elections, this election in particular, um, nearly every state hit a new record on voter turnouts. And according to the Washington Post, at 62, at 66%, sorry, um, the voter turnout rate in the U.S. was the highest since the 1900s. Now, observing the voter turnouts during the U.S. 2020 elections um, on the Bloomberg uh, website, we can see that majority of the I guess available voters turned out in each state. From Washington to Alaska to Hawaii, a majority of citizens turned out to vote. However, again, nothing is perfect and again part of the voting society or available voters didn't turn out to vote. Now there can always be some type of reason for this and uh, based on our little study and uh, a little research on the prison, the prison system, um, the likelihood of the available people that can vote obviously decreases because when you are, you know, imprisoned and institutionalized, you don't have the right to vote. You don't have the right to, to concern, um, or to voice your concern and this of course limits the amount of um, you know changes to political systems and uh, that probably has an effect on the voter turnouts Um, albeit greater than previous years uh, still work has to be done so let's take a look at a more localized example let's take a look at uh, Canada we had our own um, federal elections in 2019 now what's the voter turnout rate for that federal election. So looking at some numbers and figures of uh, Canada's 2019 federal election, uh, what are some of the numbers and figures on that and do we see a growth or a shrink? Well, generally um, well over 50% of Canadians went out to vote during the federal election. Now overall, Uh, Canada's voter turnout rate for the federal election sat at 67 percent, the highest being Prince Edward Island at 75 percent and the lowest being Nunavut at uh, 39 percent. Now for the voter turnout rate by the age. Well, the highest amount of citizens that went on to vote by age included people that were 65 to 74, 55 to 64 and uh, generally those numbers were at 70% or higher. Now the lowest numbers were um, for citizens and populations that were 18 to 24 or 25 to 34. Basically if you were a young adult, the likelihood of you voting is um, much less than if you were older, which kind of fits the idea that as you get older, you're more concerned with politics because of how it might affect your lifestyle, your job, Um, your health care. So as you get older, you tend to care more about these situations. And I I do feel that as well. As I grow up, I'm I'm more focused on um, what is happening around me. Um, I guess it's just because as you're young, you're kind of innocent and you're uh, unaware of some of the bullshit that happens around your life and you kind of maybe ignore it a little better or maybe you're a little more flexible with those circumstances. But as you get older, you're more responsible for for your destiny and uh, I think that's where uh, some of the voter turnouts can can show there alright so based on the voter turnout rates and then the comic book itself what can we say about the comic book well it does I guess hyperbolize the voter turnouts because based on the statistics from US UK and Canada their vote out turnout rate isn't 30 percent or isn't even close to that number it's double that so obviously voter turnouts are stronger than in the comic book which you know makes sense it's a goddamn comic book but it does prove the point that the voting system and the our democracy isn't perfect Um, in the comic book the hall of justice and the judges don't necessarily take advantage of that but I think the understanding is that the citizens of Mega City One are disillusioned and fragmented um, enough that they cannot decide for themselves their total destiny, um, and I think this can really connect to the Nietzsche um, analysis that we did before, where we focused on the idea of you know God is dead, and that ultimately the success and the you know the evolution of people is going to be based on people's decision and their willpower and their ability to make those changes obviously judge dread is the main character in this comic and as the main character he is a burdened by the responsibility of having to administer justice and i guess politics in this mega city um and if we just focused on the idea of a mega city The rates of crime, um, the rates of poverty, the rates of stress and mental health, the rates of pollution, these factors all, uh, I guess they're all raised and exacerbated by population densities. In Megacity 1, you know, I'm I'm not sure the exact numbers of the people in it, but if you can imagine, in a megacity like this, those stressors are going to create more crime. And if we look at examples of how to administer justice in a, in a place of extreme crime, maybe Judge Dredd is the exact hero that Mega City One needs. And I think by the end of this volume, uh, Dread successfully transforms from an anti-villain to an anti-hero. As the anti-villain, his goal is to, um, I guess, extremely punish people without understanding their particular circumstances even having um, the disdain or hatred towards juveniles now uh, of course in this comic book Judge Dredd is a kind of faceless hero you never see his face and I think in that regards um, you know our own political systems our own um, judiciary systems share that same facelessness um, and that can that can also lead to a lot of injustice and failure to recognize the basic needs of every individual and then to administer justice or politics or you know whatever rights and freedoms based on you know human understandings and human circumstances Uh, but fortunately by the end of this we find this transformation in Judge Dredd one that respects human needs and human desires um, a little bit more and so by the end of this volume we find out that you know Judge Dredd has a bit of a humanistic side and he goes on to say that Mega City 1 a city of 800 million people okay so we do get the numbers um, and he thinks that out of those 800 million people every one of them is a potential criminal and in this city you find the most evil most violent place on the earth but God help us all Judge Dredd loves it so from that little you know quote from the end of this volume uh, we can see that this anti-villain has transformed to more of an anti-hero realistic um, a bit pessimistic and also optimistic so i mean the complexity of the character is really shown throughout this volume and i think that is one of the highlighting factors um as i read this volume was how difficult it must have been to be a judge and to serve justice in mega city one um so this is dq with another review um today's outro song i'm not sure what it'll be Probably decide later on um, maybe something like resistance. Or... Alright, so the outro song. Um, I mean, there are a couple of really good songs out there that uh, talk about injustice and talking about you know, changing the system. Um, changing the system has always been a really big part of human evolution. We look for those bottlenecks and we try to uh, satisfy the needs of the most people. Um, and I think in these times we should always try to think forward and not only be grateful of what we have but think about how much can be changed for the betterment of each other Um, this is all based on love Um, no hatred no judgment just based on simple love Uh, so the outro song uh, for today's episode is uh, Georgia Smith's uh, song called by any means Uh, this was released in 2020 And it's the lead single from Rock Nation's upcoming project called Reprise, which is a project that will benefit social justice organizations. Uh, Now, I know some people really spit on the idea of social justice, um, but I like to just pants those people because what the fuck are they talking about if they're not talking about something that is supposed to improve the lives of not only themselves, but other people. Don't be a a selfish prick and think that just because you're doing okay, uh, you shouldn't have a voice in trying to make others um, and their lives better. So today's uh, outro song is Georgia Smith's uh, by any means and by any means please stand up and voice and stand up for the rights and freedoms of people whether they be black, indigenous, Asian, purple, yellow, animal, green, the planet stand up for something um, and you know by any means.
1: out why, too much time to be patient, all this time you be feeding us lies, ain't no truth in your statements, too much pain in these little white lies, you left it all this time trying to figure out how. We're still here. I take pride in the things that we've done. Side by side in the revolution. Won't stay silent for things that I love. Cause we know them not care about us. White men can't jump, but at least they can't run. Both these chains, have to put hands up. They could never see the kingdom coming. You want to see us all amount to nothing. I can see your face, see the light in your eyes. I can see the change, feel the heat of the fire you can feel the pain and you not- It's just David talking about what David thinks.